all throughout this service this morning of what God has for us in this marvelous book called Ephesians. Ephesians. We have actually been in this book, Ephesians, uh, for the past two years. And how we do at Walk Church is we'll preach through a book and we'll go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, even word for word, um, and the Lord will speak to us through his word. And what we do is we'll preach a chapter and then we'll take a quick break and then we'll enter another chapter and maybe take another break. Um, and so we are actually entering into chapter four today. But before we do that, um, I just want to give us some refreshers on chapters one through three and help us to get our, our minds and our hearts back into the book of Ephesians, which has, which has so much truth and revelation for his church. Ephesians chapter one, we titled that series, The Blessed Life, The Blessed Life. A lot of that came from what we see in Ephesians chapter one, verses three and four. It says it like this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. What does that mean? Well, here's what that means. It means that Jesus, he chose to pick us on his team that we're broken, we're sinners, we're not gonna contribute much to the game, we're actually probably gonna hinder it, and Jesus says, yeah, I'm choosing you to be on my team. Now, here's the good news about that, listen to me. Why that's such good news is because since he's chosen us in him, we now get to get everything that he has. So the reason why this is the blessed life, all right, hey, if two people clap, we all clap, all right, come on. <laughs> I'm gonna clap with you, why? Because I need everything that Jesus has. I need every gift. I need every gem that falls from the gospel in my life. And Jesus says, you get it. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is ours because of who chose us. Right? So it's up to you to reject that and say, you know what, Jesus, I'm not trying to be on your team. Then you'll, you'll get your results. But on his team, you're on the winning team. And you get every spiritual blessing. That's the blessed life. Chapter 2 begins, and we get to know who we are more, right? That he chose us, but who did he choose? He chose people who were dead in their sins and trespasses. We weren't asleep. We weren't kind of like dead. We weren't taking a nap. No, we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. We were enemies of God. But Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 tells us this. It says that by grace, we have been saved through our faith. And this is not our own doing, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works so that somebody could say, you know what, I saved myself. Or that anybody here could one day say, you know what, I can boast in the fact that I was good enough to get to heaven. Or my works got me there. Paul's saying nobody will ever be able to say, I was good enough to get in, or I was good enough to get God's attention. It was the opposite. It's God's grace. Grace means not deserved. It means we didn't deserve it, God shows grace anyway and saves his people. And only somebody who is in bondage needs to be saved. And so we're learning about who we are here in the scripture. We're learning we need to be set free. We need to be saved. And we can through our faith in him. Nothing more, nothing less. Ephesians 2 continues and it says, now that we've been saved by faith, we get to gather as one people. We did a series called We Are One. And it talks about how Jews and Gentiles alike get to take place in this good news. <clears throat> it says for, uh, the next verse says it like this. It says that, that we together were called 
into this oneness. I'll go ahead and read it to you. It says it like this in verse 18 and 19. It says, through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now, who's he talking about when he says both, right? The Jews are in the Old Testament considered to be God's chosen people, that God set his heart on this people, this race, this chosen race. In the New Testament, we see God not only having his chosen people, the Jews, but he's also adopted Gentiles. Gentile means non-Jew. That means everyone gets to be a part of the kingdom. That means that everybody has a seat at the table. That through him, we both have access. Come on, right? I love that word access. Right? Like we get to walk around with a badge that says all access pass. And if somebody were to stop me and be like, yo, why are you here? I'll just say, man, Jesus invited me onto his team and I get every blessing that's his, so I have access, and so do we. So you are no longer strangers. You were once a stranger. Know that. You weren't born a Christian. You, 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 didn't, you didn't grow up. Just I, 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 was al- I was always a Christian. No, at some point, you had to make a decision to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and it's then that you were bought onto his team. And you're no longer a stranger then. You're no longer an alien then. But now you're a citizen, a fellow citizen. Isn't it cool that we all share dual citizenship? Right? You're not just a citizen of this earth. But this scripture says you're a kingdom citizen now. You have a dual citizenship that will get you into heaven one day. Show, Show Jesus that passport that's stamped with his blood. Amen. And we get to go in and become members of the household of God. Chapter 3 then tells us more theology about the church. It says that the church is, right, we're, we're sinful, but we've been uh, bought by Jesus, by his blood. Now we're on his team, and we're together. We're different tribes, tongues, colors, nations. And this tells us how powerful the church is, that it's through the church. Everybody say, through the church. Through the church, through the, church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The word manifold would encourage you to catch up on this sermon if you need to. Just go to walkchurch.com, click on Sermon Archive, and go to the Ephesian series. The manifold wisdom of God, that word in the Greek means many colors. The colorful wisdom of God. What's that mean? It means that the church is filled with all types of colors, all types of people, all types of backgrounds, social classes, statuses, races, ethnicities, languages. The church should be diverse. The scripture tells us that. Paul's writing to the Ephesians and he's saying, if your church all looks just like you, you might be at the wrong church. Your church should look different. The person you sit next to might be completely different than you in your age or in your color or in your race or in your background but, or in your dysfunction. We're a multi-dysfunctional church, amen? Right? And Jesus is like, I'm in all of it. It's my church. He says, when we come together, the angels, the rulers and authorities in heaven look at that and say, wow, that's amazing. That the angels never got to be a part of the church. They just get to watch the church. The heavenly places are amazed at what we're doing here today. Now this, friends, this was according to the eternal purpose that Jesus has real, that, that he, that the Father has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the eternal purpose of God, in short, The eternal purpose of God is that he would be so good. He would be such a good, good father that he would love sinful people like us. He would take us in all of our brokenness. 
He would adopt us into his family, both Jews and Gentiles alike. He would put us together in the same church and that he would get all the glory because of it. Amen? That's Ephesians 1 through 3 in a nutshell. And now we're ready to turn our attention to Ephesians chapter 4. If you're ready, say ready. If you're hungry for this word this morning, say let's eat. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Before we eat, let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, one more time, God, we come before you and we just say, Lord, we need you. God, as we now enter into Ephesians 4, teach us your word. Holy Spirit, open the eyes of our heart because we want to see you. Focus our attention on you. Remove any distraction. Give us the grace of concentration for this next few minutes to hear you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Scripture says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I've titled this message this morning, 360 Unity. 360 Unity. That God would have a desire for his church to have 360 unity. What does that look like? Well, that looks like unity up with him, unity down, him with us, unity all around with his church. Does that make sense? If it does, say, I got it. it. All right? That God wants us to have 360 unity. It's in these three verses that we see how we can have that. Let's go ahead and look at verse 1. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 tells us this. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy the calling of which you've been called. I want to focus on this phrase, a prisoner for the Lord, really quick. I think that's so neat that, that Paul could refer to himself as anything. Paul could say, I, the apostle of the Lord. Paul could say, I, the prophet for the Lord. I, the pastor of this church. I, the author of this letter. But what does he say? I'm the prisoner of the Lord. What a strange way to address yourself. It's interesting that in chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says that again. Right, right before this, he says, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And now he says, I, a prisoner of the Lord. I think it's important that we, we understand why he says this. He says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you've been called. This word prisoner, right, it's the Greek word desmios. It means to be bound. It means to be captive. Do you see what Paul just did there? Paul said, if I'm going to be bound to anything, right? See, imagine Paul, right? He's got, he's got his hand chained to this pulpit right here. He's in prison. He's in his cell. And there's a guard that's watching him. And Paul says, the reality is I'm not bound to this cell. I'm not a prisoner to this place. I'm not a prisoner to this, this guard. I'm not a prisoner to my placement. I'm a prisoner to the Lord. Paul says, if I'm going to be captive to anything, it's to him. I love what we see in Acts chapter 10. We see Jesus send an angel to a prison cell where Peter is in prison, the disciple, and the, prison, the, and the, and the, the angel puts the jailer to sleep, opens the prison cell, and Peter's like, what? And the angel's like, "How you going to sit there all day? Get out. The Lord would maybe be telling that to some of you today. I've set you free. I've opened the door. Now walk in freedom, right? Peter was set free. Paul says, look, I'm not a prisoner to my circumstance. 
God has placed me here. If I'm a prisoner to anything, it's to the Lord. And I'm going to trust him because he's in control of this whole thing. We need to get aware of the authority of God. We need to get aware that God's even bigger than your circumstance. See, if God's placed you in a specific situation, God may have placed you in a specific home, and you're like, man, it feels like I'm going to prison every time I come home. God may have placed you in a specific school. You're like, man, I feel like I go to prison every time I go to class. God may have placed you on a sports team. You're like, I feel like I'm in chains on my team. Don't see it like that. See where you're you're placed as actually where God has you because you're a prisoner for him, you're bound to him, and he's got you there for a reason, and maybe he's using you to change that atmosphere, or he's using that atmosphere to change you. Man, maybe God would want to show you something and open your heart to something, a new reality, while you're there. Paul didn't see his prison cell and the guard that he was chained to as a prison sentence for him. He saw that as where God placed him to be on mission for God's glory. Now, we see that Paul opens it up here in chapter 4, and he's now about to get very practical. He's saying, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Now, that's interesting. That's a shift in this letter, right? So up to this point, Ephesians 1 through 3 has all been theology. It's all been orthodoxy, or in other words, it's all been about the head knowledge. But now we see Paul in chapter 4 transition to the hands and the feet of what we're called to do. I like how the CSB translation just writes on this. It gives us some clarity about the book of Ephesians. It says that this exhortation serves as a major transition in this letter as it moves from the church's belief statement to the church's mission statement. Paul insisted that a believer's behavior must be worthy of his divine calling. Kent Hughes, he takes this thought a little bit further. He says, This opening sentence marks the turning point in the book of Ephesians. The message moves from theology to practicality. This shift can be expressed in many ways, from doctrine to duty. It could be expressed from creed to conduct, from the Christian's wealth, say this with me, to his walk. Amen, right? I love that word. Let's keep going. From exposition to exhortation, from the indicative to the imperative, from high society to a high life. Because of the amazing theological realities of chapters 1 through 3, Paul urges the Ephesians and us. So let's not just see this letter as something that was written 2,000 years ago. Let's see this letter written to you and me. To walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, what type of calling have we been called to? If Jesus picked up the phone and called you, what did he say on the other line? Here's what I believe the universal calling to all the church is. If you're ready, say ready. It's going to be tough, all right? It's going to be challenging, but I'm going to tell you your calling. It's three words. It's to deny yourself. The calling on all of our lives as little Christs, as little Christians, is to deny ourselves. Jesus says this, if anyone, everybody say anyone, if anyone would follow me, he first must deny himself. That's the most challenging verse in the entire Bible, that every day we wake up, we should hear the alarm, ah, wake up, and there should be a trigger that says, time to deny yourself. 
time to just start denying yourself. That today, it's not even about what I want to do. It's not about how I feel. It's not about how I don't feel. It's not about what I want to say or what I don't want to say. The calling on my life is to deny myself and to allow Christ to live through me. Some of us struggle living the Christian life. You may say, man, it's so hard to live the Christian life. You know why? Because you're trying hard to live it. You know, it's not hard for Jesus to live like Jesus lives. Jesus will always be Jesus. He's trying to get you to get out of the way so he can live through you. That's the Christian life. It's to say, you know what? It's no longer me. I'm dead. I'm gone. That's baptism, right? Baptism's like I was in the grave. Now I rose. Christ lives through me. So every day our calling is to say, I'm going to deny myself and I'm going to walk in freedom. And freedom is me not doing what I'm doing. Freedom is Jesus living his life through me. That's the calling. To, to, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that's on your life is to say, you know what? I'm going to deny myself and follow Jesus. It's not about my agenda. It's not about my itinerary. Well, Jesus, I want to do this, this, and this, and this. Jesus will say, well, this is not the job for you <laughs> because I'm not asking to follow you. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you got to deny yourself, right? I, I, I personally struggle with self-help books because I think our self is the problem. Like, you never find a self-help book that says the, the secret is to deny yourself, not help yourself, right? We don't need more help. We need more denial. We need to say self on the shelf, right? Christ on the throne of my heart, and I'm going to follow Whatever he wants me to do and whatever he wants me to say and where to go, I'm going to go. I love the team here from Texas. They said, hey, listen, I, you know, it probably took some money and some time to drive here from Texas to Las Vegas. But you know what? It's not even about me because I'm called to deny myself and follow Jesus and let him do the rest. If we all got in line with our calling, in other words, if we all got unified with our calling. Everybody wants to talk about calling. Here, our calling is just to deny ourselves. If we got unified in that, like, all right, I'm, I'm going to deny myself. You're going to deny yourself. I'm going to listen to Jesus. You're going to listen to Jesus. We're all going to win. And Jesus will be at the center. And he'll lead the church the way the head leads the body. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, if my arm starts to just go over here and the head's like, stop, and it still goes, that's dysfunction. <laughs> that's when the head needs to say, arm, deny yourself. Listen to the head. That's what we're called to do. Now, listen, what does that look like? I'm glad you asked. Let's go ahead and look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. Ephesians 4, verse 2 says, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, that is, to deny yourself, with all humility. Why did Paul have to put the word all in there? Like, why can't it just be humility? It's got to be all humility, right? Some of your translations say being completely humble. That we're called to follow Jesus with all humility. Another difficult call. What does all humility look like? I think I found a good definition by a guy named Andrew Murray who wrote a book called Humility. Here's what he says in his book. He says, humility is nothing but the disappearance of self in the vision that God is all. Humility is the displacement of self, 
by the enthronement of God. Humility says, I, as a human being, always come third. Does that make sense? We live in a generation where we always want to come first. Like, I'm number one. I need to get the credit. I need to get the glory. But humility tells us that I actually come third. Right? Where Jesus comes first, others come second. And then if there's any room for me, that's when I come into the picture. That's the calling on our lives as followers of Jesus. That's a tough calling, not if you deny yourself. Let me go ahead and prove it to you a little bit more. Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Come on, let's read this together. Ready? One, two, three. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more. Hold on real quick. Rewind. Say again. Count others more. Hold on one more time. Count others more. Can you all one more time? Count others more. One more time. Count others more significant than yourselves. That's the uppercut right there, Joey. Man, count others more. Let each of you look not only to his own interests. We do a good job of that. But also to the interests of others. Now, this is a hard verse. I got I to gotta confess. This is convicting for me. And now you heard it, so it's convicting for you. But if you can learn to every day have denial and say, you know what? I'm not called to follow myself. I'm definitely not called to follow my heart. Whoever made that up is wrong. But you're called to follow Christ. Called to follow Jesus and allow him to live his life through you. If we can do that, Jesus will love you, he'll love others through you, and you'll be more joyful because of it. Most of our struggles in life is because we're selfish, but we were never called to a selfish ambition, amen? What type of ambition do you have? Is it a Christ-focused, others-focused, God-glorifying ambition? If you have that, I think you'll be more joyful in life, you'll experience more purpose in life, more passion in life, and you'll live out your calling with all humility. Let me remind you before I close, move past humility is that, is that the reality is Jesus will never ask us to do something he didn't do first, right? So you ask Jesus, did you live in all humility? Well, let's ask him. Jesus was on the throne of heaven being worshiped by 10,000 angels. And what did he do? You know what? I'm gonna humble myself to become a baby born in a manger in Bethlehem. Like he wasn't checking out like the nursery and the NICU and like make sure I'll get this doctor and this nurse. I want it all really nice. Jesus was like, I'm gonna humble myself to be born amongst the animals. And then I'm gonna grow up. And as I start growing up, there's a guy named Herod who's gonna try to kill me. So I'm gonna have to flee to Egypt with my adopted parents. And then I'm going to grow up in a town called Nazareth, which was, which was a lowly, humble town. I'm going to work a carpenter's job. And then, not only that, I'm going to get crucified for stuff I didn't do, but y'all did, and I did. All of this is Jesus humbling himself for us. Really, if, if you had a dictionary and you looked up the word humility, it just should just have a picture of Jesus' face. Amen? That's him. He's the definition of putting others before yourself. 
for the glory of God to the point of his death and resurrection in our place. So Paul tells us, he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called by walking in humility. The second point we see here is not just humility, but he says with gentleness. He says, walking with all humility and gentleness. Now, this is an underrated word. I wouldn't have guessed that word was coming next, but the more I've studied this text, the more I see, man, the, the gentleness on display is actually where the power is. There's so much power in walking in gentleness. I learned this from actually King David. King David in the Old Testament writes in Psalm 18, specifically verse 35. Now listen to this. David, who slayed Goliath, right? He was the uh, second king of Israel. He was the leader of the armies. Notice what he said made him great. He says, you have given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. God's gentleness with David's life. Like God sparing David, God keeping David, even in all his dysfunction and sin. David struggled with sexual sin. David struggled with pridefulness. David struggled with idolatry, adultery, murder. He had all that stuff on his hands. And through it all, God was gentle toward this sinner the same way he is toward us. Amen? So Paul tells us, if God's been gentle to you like that, how much more? should we be gentle to others in a similar way? We see in Proverbs chapter 15, verse four, David would have a son named Solomon. Solomon would write the book of Proverbs. He says, a gentle tongue is a tree of life. The NLT translation says, gentle words are life-giving, right? But perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Another word for perverseness is deceit, being deceptive. But when we have a gentle tongue, it's like a tree of life to those who hear those words. Now, 1 Peter 3, verse 15, I think this is a verse we can learn from. It says, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. That's already a good word, amen? Right? In your hearts, honor Christ as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. This is a verse that is convicting for me, and it's also a verse that I think needs to be screamed to the church. Here's one of the reasons why. There's been on multiple occasions, most times when I'm going to some type of concert or show, I remember I got invited to do Athletes in Action ministry at the Final Four a couple years ago. And we were in Atlanta doing ministry with all these college coaches, and we got to go to the game, or got to go up to the game. I didn't get to actually go in, but I got to go up to the arena. It was humbling for me, all right? <laughs> I'm just going to be honest. While we were walking to the game, right outside of the arena was a, a, a large group of people that had their picket signs and their air horns, and they were screaming, repent because you're going to hell. Guy pointed right at me. He said, you're going to hell too unless you listen and you believe in Jesus. And I said, man, what, how, you don't even know me. Why you go right there? And here's what he said, because I'm called to make a defense for what I believe in. And here's what I said, did you read the last part of the verse? I get it. You, you're supposed to make a defense if somebody asks you why you believe what you believe. I didn't even ask you. You just wanted to make your defense. But if you're going to do it, do it with gentleness and respect. 
Come on now. If we can learn how to be gentle and respectful, we'll go further longer. We'll make more of a, a dent in our community, in our society, in our friendships with people if we, if we learn this principle, amen? That you won't find a place where it says be harsh or be prideful, but it says with humility and gentleness, somebody then might ask you, tell me about that hope you believe in. I see your gentleness. I see that you deny yourself. It's not even about you. I see that you're for me and you're for Jesus. Tell me about that. And when you do it, use respect, be gentle, and tell somebody about Jesus, amen? And say, listen, brother, sister, friend, coworker, teammate, coach, God was so kind and gentle to me that when I was a sinner and I was just messing up and I had all types of sin in my life, God loved me enough to rescue me, save me, set me free, raise me up, make me great. And he can do that in your life too. I promise you he can. If you put your faith in Jesus, I love you enough to share that with you. If you go there with people and not just drop a hammer on their head, you might get further, amen? And people might listen and say, you know what? I like this church thing. I want to know more about the hope that they believe in, but it's going to start with gentleness. Lastly, before I move past gentleness, Jesus never asked us to do something he didn't do first. Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. Let's go ahead and learn from Jesus. Are y'all cool with that? He says, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Can we just interject Jesus into the sermon? He says, he says can y'all learn from me for a second? And we say, yes, what can we learn from you, Jesus? He says, I'm gentle, lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's worthy of an amen from somebody. Maybe I just need that type of rest. But I see this right here. I see Jesus saying, hey, you can take my life, and it's not going to be a burden. It's going to be a blessing. You can take my blood. You can take my death, my resurrection. You can take all of me. You can take my spirit. You can take my word and my church, and it's not going to be heavy. It's going to be easy. It's going to be light, and I'm gentle. I want to walk with you through your struggles. Jesus wants to gentle us into the kingdom, amen? Right? Even in his wrestling with us, he's still gentle with us, amen? Like he could have crushed Jacob. He just gently touched his hip socket, <laughs> That was enough to get his attention. And I think he wants to tell you today, look, you can trust me. Jesus is saying you can trust him with everything. You can trust him with the relationship you're confused about. You can trust him with the sin in your life that nobody knows about. You can trust him with a big decision that you're about to make because he's gentle. But not only is he gentle, watch this, are you ready? Let me go ahead and introduce you to the next word. The next word in Ephesians 4 verse 2 is, He's patient. So the calling that we've been called to is a call to humility, a call to gentleness, and a call to patience, y'all. Learning how to be patient with God and with each other. That we don't have it all figured out yet. I've never met the person that does. If you think that you're going to go to a perfect church because you got it all figured out, you'll be the one that makes it imperfect. Right there. See, we're all on this journey of being conformed into the image of the perfect one. He's perfecting us along the way. But in the meantime, we need to be patient because he has been patient with us. Jesus had a brother named James. Now, James was Jesus' close brother. He wrote a letter to the church. We can learn from it. James, in his letter, 
says, I'm a servant of the Lord. He had the same posture that Paul did, a humble posture. And it's in his letter that he says these words in James 5, verse 7 and 8. He says, say those first two with me. Be patient, right? He says, be patient, y'all. Therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it. Until it receives the early and the late rains, you also walk, church, look at the person next to you and say, you. And now if, if someone just said that to you, say, well, you too. And you that's watching this online and me too, be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. James said, hey, I know Jesus is coming back, but in the meantime, let's be patient. Let's not count all the moments that, that we feel like God is slow. He hasn't called us to count slowness. If you're going to count anything, count his patience and count your blessings in the meantime. Amen. We see this also, right? Second Peter, the disciple Peter who was working on his patience. He says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Man, I thought I was going to get some amens right there. Let me try it again. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Amen. I like it. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The word repentance means turning from something to someone, right? It's when you say, all right, I was walking in my sin, and now I'm going to repent, and I'm going to turn from it, and I'm going to turn to Jesus by faith. And I'm a you know what? It takes denial to do that. Sometimes you got to tell somebody, I can't rock with you. I can't do that. I can't, I'm not going there. I'm, I'm just, I'm going to turn from that in gentleness and humility. And I'm going to follow Jesus because he has a calling on my life. The calling is to deny yourself, walk in humility, walk patient, walk gentle, and to trust him in all things that have to do with your life. See, this is important right here because some of us say, man, I wish Jesus would have came back yesterday. Man, can't Jesus just come back right now because then all this would be over? Now, let me remind you, if Jesus came back right this moment, I would just get on my knees and fall out and be like, Jesus, you preach, right? Like, take us all home. I'm ready for that. But in the meantime, while he's being patient, I still got family members that need to get saved. I still got friends who I grew up with in this very school that need to come to know him. If he doesn't come back today, I'm all right with it because there's more people that need to, the gate is still open. When that gate's closed, it's closed. So don't count slowness, count his patience and use his patience as motivation to invite somebody to Jesus, amen? Invite some, there's still a couple chairs up here open. God is patient. Get some more people in here. We got more time, y'all. God is being patient with us. Let's see him do some more stuff in the time and the patience that we have. Let us be patient with other people. Be patient with this church. If you're, if you're around here long enough, there'll be something that bothers you. It might even be me. Be patient with me. I'm gonna be patient with you, all right? Be patient with the person next to you. Be patient with the worship team. Be patient with, you name it. Be patient with your coworker, fam. 
be patient with the person that you keep inviting to come here and they keep saying, I'm gonna come, but they never come, be patient with that person. Be patient with your parents. <laughs> be patient. Come on, I'm speaking to somebody right now. Be patient, man. This is the word, like, what'd you learn at church today? Man, I learned to be patient. Well, why would you be patient? Man, because God has been patient with me. That's really it. That's really it. Represent that mentality. He has, though, hasn't he? Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Stay all day on that point. The next thing he says is, as he's chose us in him, right, he goes on, he, he, he talks about being patient, but he also says, bearing with one another in love. Man, this thing just keeps on getting deeper and deeper. Bearing with one another in love. Now, the word bear there is not talking about an animal, all right? It's talking about an action step. It's talking about a choice. You have the decision whether or not you want to bear with somebody. What does the word bear mean? It's the Greek word echo. It means to hold something up. It means to sustain something. It means to endure a hardship with someone. It means to show tolerance toward a weakness. Bearing with one another because you love them. And hasn't Jesus bared with you? Not only has he bared with you, he bore your sins. Man, oh man. Jesus right here is the definition of bearing with us in love. The Colossian church, right? Paul wrote letters to the Ephesians. He wrote letters to the church in Colossae, the Colossian church. They struggled with bearing with one another. Here's what Paul wrote to the Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. He said, bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another. Does that ever happen? where you just got to complain against somebody or somebody has a complaint against you? Well, here's how to handle that. Forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Your standard is always him. But here's the good news. We're called to deny ourselves anyway. So it really doesn't matter the emotion and the, your side of the story and stuff like that. It just matters that we're denying ourselves. We're bearing with each other in love. We're being patient with each other in our weaknesses. We're being humble toward each other and not prideful. And we're being gentle in the process. If we do those things, you know what we'll have? 360 unity. We'll be able to be unified in the calling that God has on us. There's one more verse. There's actually Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3. I'm not going to be able to unpack it. The thing that I love about expository preaching is, hey, you just go as far as you can go, and then you stop, and you pick it up there next week, right? We'll go ahead and give a little bit more treatment to verse number three, because this, whole ver this, this verse in itself is a sermon, right? But we'll just go ahead and just read it and touch on it. He says, eager. Everybody say eager. Eager means, man, I'm, I'm chomping at the bit. I'm ready, I'm excited, I'm hungry, I'm about to blast through this door to maintain unity. I, I want unity so bad that I'm so eager, Paul says, I'm eager to be unified of the spirit 
in the bond of peace. What does that mean? Well, it means that the Holy Spirit lives in us. The Holy Spirit wants us to have unity. And when we have unity, there's a bond that's shaped, and it's called peace. And Paul says, man, I'm so eager for the church to have that. More people than ever, more people than ever today are, are, stop, are stopping going to church. And here's why. Because they sense division in the church. They sense pride in the church. They sense egos in the church. They sense impatience in the church. They sense harsh, not gentleness in the church. But if you can just get back to the blueprint, and mind you, that's not an excuse not to come. Because all those things are true. But at what point do you start to be the change you want to see? And you start to say, okay, it tells us to not be those things. It actually tells us to deny ourselves so we can be humble, gentle, and bear with one another and eager to have unity. Let's start now. And I believe that God will look at that church that's unified, 360, and he'll say, man, I'm going to command. You again, I'm like a blessing on there, man. Like I'm just going to start throwing blessing at that church. And that's my prayer for this because our city needs unity. And when the church is unified, the city will be unified. And when cities are unified, the country gets unified. When the country gets unified, the world gets unified. Amen? It starts today with us saying, church, let's have 360 unity. I'll close with this statement. We have reason to be humble, walk church, for he has been humble toward us. Friends, we have reason to be gentle toward each other because he has been gentle with us. Saints, we have reason to be patient with one another because he has been patient with us. We have reason to bear with one another in love because at one point we were dead in our sins and trespasses and Christ didn't leave us there, but he bore our sin on the cross and created a new path to eternal life in him. So therefore, let us allow Jesus to live his life through us and do those same things through us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.